I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a big question. Buying a property in your self-managed super fund. So for the sake of this episode, we'll assume that you've already got a self-managed super fund set up whatever reason. But thank you to Sean Wellman from Wellman Finance for supporting my millennial money property. The thing about your mortgage brokers, John, more often than not, they are the owner of the business. Yes. More often than not. There are quality mortgage brokers who we know and deal with who don't own the business. But particularly for Sean Wellman at Wellman Finance, he's got a bit of skin in the game with reputation risk. Yes. So, you know, you're always going to get looked after Mm. to the best of his ability because if something goes wrong and he doesn't make it good for you, yeah, he's got to manage the possible reputation damage personally. There used to be an ad going around that said, the guy that runs a store owns the store. And that's that applies, doesn't it? Yeah. So, I think you're in great hands with Sean Wellman and his team from Wellman Finance. They're out of Melbourne. They help anyone everywhere. Wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. Reach out if you do want a quality mm. mortgage worker because... More times than not, your strategy will rise and fall off the back of a good broker. Yep, absolutely. Finance structure number one. We'll assume that everyone's got a self-managed super fund. Mm. If you don't have one and you don't know what it is, just Google buying a property in my super, Glenn James, and it'll be the first hit. There's a big article there, okay? But particularly, how can somebody buy a property with their super fund? The first thing is they need to have a bear trust that's the buying entity to buy that property. Without complicating it, buying property, buying residential property in your self-managed super fund, I think is maybe overcomplicated more than it needs to be. It's just simply a, the same transaction. It's just a different buying entity and different lending conditions, which we'll, we'll talk about now. So you set up a bear trust and then that bear trust sits under the self-managed super fund and that's the buying entity in which you would buy that property in. Yeah. So it is an extra layer. Now, you would only need a bear trust if there's lending involved. Yeah, correct. Yes. Sorry, should have pre-framed that. Yes. If you're paying cash. Go for it. Go, go for your life. So, yeah, for example, if you are buying, uh, if you've got 500 grand in your super fund and you want to buy a $300,000 property, mm-hmm. it's a little unit in Toowoomba or something like that, on the contract of sale, it will say the purchaser, John Pigeon proprietary limited as trustee for the john pigeon super fund correct so that's uh i guess the mechanics but generally how much do you think you really need in your super fund before you pull the property trigger yeah this is a common question isn't it i've been told i should be buying a property in my super because that's the cool thing to do and my super's not performing and there's too many fees and all that sort of stuff but the, the question then is, well, how much have you got in there to start with and what is a, a minimum amount? So we'll get on to lending conditions in a minute, but I would say round figures, I'd like to see minimum 200000 
Um, if you've got less than that, can you make it happen? Yes, but your purchase price is going to be less and, and the risks are a, a little bit greater. Yeah, and the reason why we need a decent amount of money before we set up a super fund is if you look at the costs of running a fund, so you could set up a self-managed super fund and the only asset is a bank account that's owned by the super fund. Yep. Now, if you had to be really basic, if you had $2,000 in super, and you set up a super fund and put the $2,000 in the bank account, it's going to cost you $1,000 a year, at least in accounting fees. fees. So in terms of percentage wise, the fees 50%, yes. which, you know, and you're responsible and we won't go into it in this episode, but because you're acting as a trustee of your own money, you're under the same law as Sun Super trustee is to their members. And that would not stick up in court. I don't think if, you know, you got an audit or whatever and they sued you as the trustee for not being a responsible trustee because 50% in fees, that's nuts. Yeah, that's right. And there's also a cash component needs to be kept in the super fund as well, isn't it? Over and above your assets. Particularly if you're borrowing. Yeah. And this is why we don't want to get too stuck in the weeds for, I guess, the concepts Mm. of this episode. Yeah. We'll do a full 45-minute episode on this, on My Millennial Money. But in terms of property... Most of the lenders now, John, they will say in order to settle on that property, you need 10% liquidity. Yep. So if you were borrowing $400,000 to buy a property worth six hundred, for example, yep. they're going to say you need liquidity and it's depending on what lender it is. Mm. We know conservatively 10% of the borrowed amount is 40K. Mm. So you're going to need at least 40K just sitting in cash. Yeah, that's right. Also... You're going to need money in there. What if there's no tenant in the fund? Mm. You're going to need, you know, money to pay for, you know, cash flow. You're going to need money to pay for any life insurances that you've got um, in the super fund, any repairs to the property. So, it's not just about scraping together and setting up a super fund. You have to be very intentional. That's right. And as I said at the start, we don't want to try and overcomplicate the transaction. It's basically... You're still buying a residential property in this example. So there's still holding costs. There's still maintenance issues that may come in from time to time. There may be rental vacancies. Uh, the concept's still the same, isn't it? Yeah. But the difference, um, which we'll go on to in a moment, is the lending and what you can and can't do in terms of lending within mm. your self-managed super fund. Yeah. We talk about LVR, loan-to-value ratio. So realistically if you're borrowing in your own name you could buy a residential property that has an lvr of 80 percent without lender's mortgage insurance yes. so five hundred thousand dollar property you might have to put 100 grand in yes of equity mm. in the super environment because the law and i honestly think maybe within five years you won't be allowed to borrow to invest in a self-managed super fund because there's been a lot of chatter yeah with people overextending but in super the lvr might be 70 percent yeah yeah so we we know we need a bigger chunk of money and the difference there is like the 80 percent in in your own name avoids lenders mortgage insurance but you can go up to 90 and in some cases 95 percent lvr can't you in your own name yeah, yeah. Yep. whereas in the self-managed super fund space it's black and white it's it's 70 percent yep. now for a while there it was 80 percent with some lenders but that's banished i did um, see 60 with some lenders as well yeah so now it's probably mac well it is maximum 70 percent but in a lot of cases those who don't have an appetite 
for it anymore from a lending perspective are, are back to 60%, which effectively means you need a 40% deposit plus costs, um, which are your stamp duty and legals. Yeah. Now, so a couple of big questions that people ask with buying a property in a super fund. Number one, can we buy a house and live in it? And the answer is no. No. Because what you're doing is you're using the asset that is reserved for retirement today. Hmm. It would be like calling Sun Super, who are our show partner on My Millennial Money, hmm. and saying, hey, Sun Super, I've got my super account with you. Can you flick me 10 grand now yeah, to spend? They're right. going to be like, well, no, as trustee, yeah. you don't meet a condition of release. Yes. So, you can't live in the property yourself no. if it is owned by a super fund. No. Even if it's your own super fund. That's right. Number two, you can't get your parents to set up a self-managed super fund and you to live in your parents' property yep. inside the super fund. Yeah. So, what is that referred to, that term again? The related party. Related party. Yeah. Yep. So, it's not, all, um, it's not all rose petals, is it, when it comes to buying property just because you've got 200 grand sitting around in your mm. self-managed super fund, yeah. um, it doesn't mean, right, let's just go and get a, a residential property or a, even a commercial property. Yep. Now, the difference just quickly in commercial is that you might have a commercial office that you own in your self-managed super fund and you might be Glenn James Proprietary Limited. That's a separate business. You can rent that off your super fund, can't you? Yes, but you'd need to be renting at market rates. Yes. Another question that people ask, John, is I've got an investment property in my own name, yep. I need to free up my own cash. Can my super fund buy it off me? Yes. And the answer is? Well, generally, no. Unless? Um, and <laughs> let me think about this. We're quickly. getting into financial yeah. advice, tax yeah. <laughs> area, ATO law now, aren't we? I'm not, qual- I'm not qualified to say this. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the answer is no. So you can't transfer a property that you own into your self managed super fund or a related party owns mm. into your self-managed super fund, unless it's a commercial asset. Yeah. And part of the strategy, John, if I was an electrician and I've got my little factory bay and I bought it in my own name yep. and then I want to transfer that into my super fund, it can be done. Yeah. So, you know, you've got the costs involved, maybe a bit of stamp duty and whatnot, but that can be done. Yeah, and, and just going back to the lending for the moment, the idea with any debt over time is you want to pay it back eventually. Absolutely. Right? So, and yes, you can be strategic and go interest only. So you're saving your cash to do other things or buy more assets and things like that. In your self-managed super fund, majority of loans, if not all of them, are actually principal, principal and interest, interest loans, yeah. which yeah. means the holding costs on that particular property are higher again because you're paying the principal amount mm. out of your super fund. Yep. And you don't want to be in a position where you're topping up the super fund just to pay the principal on that property because you're foregoing the cash flow in your own life, aren't yeah. you? The other part of it as well is the interest rates are higher than what you would get outside outside of your super. So up to 2% higher in, in, in a mm. lot of cases yeah. as well. So, so it's you've just got to be very strategic and planned with this. Yeah. So another question people might ask is, can I use someone else's money mm. to make the super fund? So at the moment... And there is talk of having up to six members of the super fund. Yep. And we are not self-managed super fund experts. And even in my advice business, I would never set up a super fund. I would send it to an expert because mm. it is so bloody complex. Yep. For example, John, if you had, if you and Amy both had Sun Super 
super funds. Yes. You had 80K. Or we'll just keep it around. You had 100K. Amy, because she's a hard worker, <laughs> she had 150K yes. in hers. You could both set up a super fund and then you've got 250. Mm. So then you're over the line with a magic amount of number. Yeah. So you're setting up one super fund. You're not setting with up different two members. separate ones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could both with your property, yeah. uh, with your super, buy the one property. Yeah. Now, it gets complex in what do you do if a member dies? Yeah. Okay, because if a member who's got a super fund dies, that super fund has to pay out a death benefit. Mm. So, what do we do? Do we have to sell the property? Do we have to uh, contribution back into super? Yep. It gets bloody complex. Yep. And that's why you need to have your ducks lined up before you go dancing Long around. Yeah. 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 So, at the moment, you can have up to four, right? Yep. In the self managed And so, fund. you could have your kids, two yeah. kids in there. Yeah. Again, there is chatter of having mm. up to six members, yeah. which I think was two federal budgets ago. They did mention that. But again, I'm not at all pretending to be a an expert in self-managed super. Mm. But the concepts, yes, it can be done. As you said, John, it's not that crazy. I've got enough money to probably set up a self-managed super fund yes. in my super. Mm. I just don't want extra bloody paperwork and another job to do every year. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't... Like, and I guess the only other thing is if you do between you and your spouse have say 250 or depending on where you are in your life stage, mm. I'm talking to someone who's listening who might be over 45. Yeah. You've got 250K. Are you wanting to put all that money into one asset class? Yeah, that's right. Where, yeah. you know, you've got to think of that diversification thing. Yeah. To give people a backstory, why self-managed super fun all of a sudden became the thing to do was post GFC where where super fell through the floor for a lot of people, especially close to retirement mm. where it, it dropped overnight and people lost faith and confidence in traditional retail industry funds and funds in general, didn't they? Only because they were not educated and understood how investments work. That's right. But and they sold out of fear at the wrong time correct. and did their ass. Yeah, so they saw their hard-earned just whittling away so they decide now nah, i'm going to take this into my own hands mm. now i'm going to create yeah. a, my and, own self and a lot of like i can't tell you how many clients that i've had who have had money in a self-managed super fund just sitting in cash for yeah. like 10 years yeah. after the gfc they've probably lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because they get scared they sell at mm. the the worst point in time and do nothing. And invested in cash, getting 2% return. Yeah. I mean, the last 12 months, if you had a balanced fund in your super account, a blended fund, you would have done 13 or 14%. Yeah. So, there is so much opportunity cost. But that's about, you know, being engaged with your money. But in mm. terms of super, absolutely do your own super fund. But you just need to be aware that it's not, it's not the be all and end all if you don't have it. No. I mean, if you've got a boner for property, and that's pretty crass to say, but if you want everything you own to be property, yeah. sure, knock yourself out. But I think one reason why I haven't personally purchased a property with my super fund is because I like that diversification of having, and a lot of my super's international equity, I like to have that diversification. Yeah, and look, it's um, when superannuation was set up by the government years and years ago, the concept was we're putting some money away as individuals for retirement whenever that age may be and, and it used to be 60 and now it's 67. So we're just guaranteeing, or not guaranteeing, but giving Australians a better chance of a, a nice retirement when that time comes. But I think all roads 
lead to Rome from an asset point of view and a wealth creation point of view. Mm. So we shouldn't be all putting all our eggs in relying on superannuation. We can create wealth now in our personal well, name. Well, we've just got to understand superannuation is just a tax structure. Yeah, that's right. And in planning land, if you're doing tax planning or financial planning, you're like, we've got money to build wealth with. Mm. What's the most tax effective way long term? Yeah. And a portion of that is super. Yeah. And the attractive thing that does entice a lot of people is in the, in the area of tax, the capital gains tax benefits of uh, upon selling a property or an asset in your self-managed super fund, isn't it? Like, Yeah. Would you rather pay 15% flat rate because there's no yeah. discount or at your marginal tax rate outside of super? That's right. And, and if you sell in retirement when you're not earning... Uh, in your time and age, it's actually zero. Zero, isn't it? yeah. If you mm. if you've got an asset in pension phase mm. uh, and you're fully retired, uh, it's zero. Yeah. But I mean, that's a whole complexity there. It is. Hey, we might leave it there. We've got one question, but I, I just hope that's maybe answered a few little low hanging mm. fruit questions. And yeah. I will just add, if you do have a super fund and you are looking at buying a property, go to an accountant or an advisor who specializes in yeah. super. Don't come to either of us. Don't come to either of us <laughs> because it's actually a pain in the ass. And unless you're in it every day yeah. and understanding the complex laws, it's just not worth it. Yeah. All that to say, if you did set up a super fund and you bought a property with your spouse in the super fund, you've still got your employer contributions going into the super fund, right? Mm. So what that means is the rent from the property because it's a the LVR, it's a I guess a higher barrier to entry. Usually, the mortgage repayments are made up from the rent. Yep. Usually, it's a net net. So, yeah. between you and your spouse, if you're both working, it could be 10, 15, 20 grand a year that's going into super still mm. into the self managed super fund bank account. Then you could set up a little equity portfolio and cash flow your exposure to other assets. Yeah, that's inside right. Inside the super fund. Yeah. And uh, the whole release of equity and the, the rules within that are very, very different, aren't they? To, to yeah, you, can't, you can't refire. Mm. Yeah. the investment property in the super fund yeah. and put a back deck on it for the tenants like it's can't do a house and land because it's a two-part contract you and, can't yeah. for example renovate the property mm. and put 50 grand on the property because technically you've contributed to superannuation yeah. if you've done that yeah and that's why you just need to be very strategic yeah and Good people in your corner yeah because yeah. It, it is complex righto jennifer Good asks chat. Oh, no, we're not done. We're not done yet. Back (laughs) off, John. Might be a dumb question, but as someone who has no background in finance and the likes, whenever you guys talk about doing your research, quote unquote, re-property, where should I be looking and how do I know if the information is reliable and or accurate? So, Jennifer. Mm, Good question, Jennifer. Can I uh, answer that first, John? Go for it. With doing your research, I think it's just number one, being measured and considered before you do anything okay and it could be that you've got a spreadsheet and you're just tracking different properties in the area that you're wanting to buy Mm -hmm. just to know whether you think it's a good it's like when you buy a car you don't just go out and buy the first one you see yep you know you might want a new prado land cruiser you know people move or whatever it is yeah you're going to go and look at three or four prados because then you'll get the sense of knowing 
okay, that one's really overpriced for the condition mm. because the one that we looked at yesterday, it was better condition yeah. and a little bit higher Ks and probably more better value. So, yeah. just yeah. looking at multiple things mm. starts the research. Yeah. In yeah. terms of trends for property and suburbs, like the domain websites and the real estate, they've got heaps of graphs. Mm. What other things would you say just to start that research component, John? Yeah, and I think maybe just reading between the lines, she's wanting to start from scratch and say well where do i look location wise before i drill down to find particular properties but you've got to start in your own backyard and what i mean by that is and we talk about in in our academy the importance of your own goal setting your own cash flow management your own long-term plans and understanding what it is that you want and and getting all that back end in order i don't think enough people put emphasis on getting their own situation under control and and clarity around their own situation first and foremost then you can go on to as you said domain and realestate.com and there's different data on there and you can find i think vacancy rates you can find um, historical growth data for a particular suburb or um or, or area rp data is probably the rolls royce but it's an expensive subscription to find out what properties have sold for in any particular area but then you've got to be knowing how to distill the information yeah that's right and we've only got a few minutes here today but we look at personally population infrastructure economy so what's an area doing in those three areas as a macro indicator and then you can dig down deeper to some micro indicators to look at well what are the schools like what's the investor versus owner occupier ratios what's the the livability, have I got public transport, have I got parks and amenities, all those sort of things add up to um, to come to a conclusion that, um, that suggests that we're ready to go. And this sounds really basic, but I've just Googled while you've been chatting here, John, and I just picked a random town and I've typed in Google Townsville Economic Outlook. Yep. And you can just see, and if you click the news tab, There's one article from September 19 on the ABC, Townsville property housing boom bust and it's a diabolical property market and it wipes more than, you know, heaven and earth. And then there's a a Townsville bulletin at the end of December, improved outlook underpins Townsville property Mm. market. So you could start to get some anecdotal research. Yeah, my advice there would be to stay out of the media, media. conversations. <laughs> <Yes>. Don't <laughs> listen to me. We might edit that uh, out. <laughs> and just, just because, no, and keep that in because it's important to realise that the headline doesn't actually mean the facts. If you read the article, you may dig down to find what's actually happening and how they formed the basis to, to sell that newspaper. In terms of population, the first place I would go would be uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And mm. you can historically see what an area has done in the last 20 years and how it's been trending population growth wise you can look at median household incomes on there you can find a whole range of different things what each suburb or city has as a as an industry driver or industry drivers Mm. so you can see how it's trending just from a free website like the australian bureau of statistics yeah so Mm. and again just talk to us about because you've only launched the property online academy just talk to us of how of a benefit it might be for an introductory type of tool if you're new to the property investing world. Yeah, look, and, and it's a biased thought, but I, I just think it's a really good foundation to get the important parts of your own situation ready before you go to buy an investment property or, yeah. or to buy a property. 
So it talks about the importance of goals and habit setting. It talks about the importance of cash flow management, which you've got your spending plan, all those sort of things. So getting that in order, but then, okay, what do I look for as indicators when buying a property? How do I go and find my first home to live in if that's what I want? How do I identify hotspots and not spots? So all that's in there to give you a really good foundation to launch and then go and do it yourself. And if then when you get to that stage of, well, I'm still confused and I don't want to do it myself, then you obviously, you need some more assistance. Yeah, which Mm. could be like, and I know it's not an ad for you, but whatever, like it could be getting somebody like you or maybe even a buyer's advocate, I don't know, or a coach or just someone who's in property all day, every day. Yeah, and I've just had the example recently where someone joined me in November, we're in January, and they've done the online academy and they've, I reckon they've fast-tracked their knowledge and education by probably six months. Yeah, so wow. to the point where they're designing their own strategy with me and they're You're telling just me... you over the shoulder. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And a, as a sounding board and looking from the outside in, mm. they'll buy property in the next eight weeks probably. Yeah, amazing. Mm. All right, Jennifer, I hope that helps. Thanks, John. Bye. Thanks, bye. Special thanks to Wellman Finance, our podcast partner. Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey, even if it's your first time. With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash m3. If you want to really turn up your property, education, and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers, whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor. This online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.